creeds and criticism meet. of Reference Podcast. All right, and welcome back to the Split Frame of Reference Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Allison. And we've got a interesting uh, podcast episode for you today. Allison, take it away. What are we doing today? Well, we're going to talk about the recent Christians for Biblical Equality conference that we went to. Mm-hmm. And also, especially, the future of egalitarianism. All right. So, uh, we are not doing Book Corner or wines today. Uh, we're moving straight into this because we're both tired. I love tired. that it's now wine and not beer. Well, for now it is. I, I haven't yeah, gotten see, paid yet. Hmm. I haven't gotten paid yet. Uh, and so, what we'll do is... Uh, so, basically, what happened was we wake up really early. We don't Uber to LAX. <laughs> we didn't Uber. And so, we ended up having to park and walk around LAX for, uh, I'd say, about... 35 minutes, which ultimately... That's not bad. No. That's not bad at all. No, but it cost us 160-something bucks to park at LAX, which... Because we were stupid. Yes, we were very stupid. Uh, So next time, Uber will be our best friend. But in any case, we get on our flight. We fly across uh, the Gulf of Mexico, and it turns out uh, there's lightning storms and all that fun stuff in Orlando. And so we circle Tampa in the plane for about... Fifth, eh, about half hour, we 35 minutes. We were already minutes. on the plane for, was it five hours, it's six a, hours? It's a, uh, in total, it would have been about a four and a half hour flight. Yeah, and so then we were just circling forever. At about the four hour mark, we had to circle St. Petersburg and Tampa for, we circled it for about 40 minutes or so. Was, All right, fine. Then so we flew across the central uh, part of Florida. We saw Cape Canaveral because they overshot Orlando by... I don't know, several miles. So we got to fly over Cape Canaveral and do a huge loop all the way around. Finally got to Orlando. Finally, you know, flew down, finally landed on the tarmac and came to a complete stop. And the pilot said, uh, there's lightning strikes and there's people uh, who normally get us to where we need to be and hook up everything. Uh, they can't do that because there's lightning, so we're going to be stuck here. Don't worry, it'll be five minutes. But you didn't say five minutes. No, no. He said, it'll be about five to t- 15 minutes. Two and a half hours later, we finally get off the plane. He did not say it was going to be five minutes. Uh, he alluded that it might be two hours and then corrected himself and said, oh, well, I didn't mean it was going to take two hours. I just said that it could take. And then sure enough, we were there for two and a half and hours. And then, of yeah. course, if anyone has been on a plane with no air circulation or AC, you start to smell yourself and you also start to smell everyone sitting but around on you. on the plus side, there were a bunch of kids making sound effects as we landed and... After um, we heard that we could finally exit the plane, this kid, um, I don't know, he was maybe five or six. Like, how old are you? He was like, hey, everyone, let's have a party. Music, food, and alcoholic drinks. <laughs> it was like, whoa, where did you hear this? I love his parents already. I've never met them, and I love them. He had a lot of character. Yeah. And so we get off, and we finally... we. Meet up with Tristan. We're getting ready. Tristan was all, Tristan Page um, yep. is a good friend of mine, and mm-hmm. uh, she has her own ministry called Turning Pages. And Fuller graduate too, so yeah, you know, good people. She's, she's active in her community in Texas and uh, works with uh, domestic violence victims and also the homeless too, and just lots of really good stuff. Yeah, but anyway, so she got trapped on the plane as well, and uh, so we got to meet up with her, and we got to 
ride back to the yeah, well, hotel be- with her. The best part was, this is going to sound so petty, I'm usually really good with waiters and staff and people making me food or drinks. It took Starbucks about... 20 minutes to get me just cold brew because you know i'm like i have i have a huge headache coming on you know dehydrated all that fun stuff i'm like i just need coffee it's 9 30 at night eastern or florida time or whatever he needed his fix i needed my fix uh and so basically i just walked straight in just bought coffee took an extra 20 minutes and finally finally when i got it we're on our way and florida outside when you go from 60 you know 60 degrees on the plane in the airport then you step outside you get hit in the face with 100 100 degree weather 100 percent right. humidity it feels like god spit on you and all so right that's what it no more like. complaining no no there we've you, whined for a bit it, it was wonderful. And so, you know, we finally <laughs> we finally get there. And so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of the the, the adventures of the Quints uh, getting to the conference. We made it. We did. We did. All right. So uh, you worked behind the scenes on this conference. So tell us, uh, tell us a little about it. Like, yeah, so um, I got to help. Uh, CBE has, so let me just say this. Uh, CBE has amazing internship programs. Mm-hmm. And that's how, I guess you could say I got my foot in the door Back when I was doing my Master of Divinity at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And so now I'm working for them as an independent contractor. And so I get to work on a bunch of cool projects. Um, one was picking the conference theme and finding great speakers, lining them up. and So what was that like, just reaching out to people? Like, hello, uh, I don't know. I, that's, that's my favorite thing ever. Because, I don't know, I just, I really like people. Um, I love individuals. And just, there's so many talented, exciting people out there. Quirky um, who are people, good. Too. Yes. Well, I'm a little... <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little uh, quirky myself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of normal people, too, that are amazing. Just saying. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just, I don't know. I really loved everyone that I talked to, um, predictably. Of course, uh, I know Mimi, uh, Mimi Haddad's the CEO of... CBE. Dr. Mimi Haddad, yes. Yeah, she uh, she was excited about having Jamin on, J- Jamin Hubner. Who was in episode nine to talk with us about John Piper and the future of male headship. Yeah, and he w- also did our final plenary. And he did a workshop too, which was a lot of fun. And him and I had scotch, you know, the night before with uh, his wife, Jessica. So yeah, I think his um, plenary title was Adventures in Sexist Hermeneutics. Yep. He, he was he was hilarious, um, and he also brought a lot of facts and interesting bits of information on Talking about the Timothy kind of and, an evolution of complementarian exegesis and what qualifies as a an unclear passage and why complementarians are so used to using one Timothy. That's right. Yeah. So he, he could, he shows through clear criteria and I mean, Payne does this too. Um, he says why first Timothy is actual is technically an unclear passage. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, and you have so many different interpretations of this passage, Yes, both among um, different hierarchalists, among people within the sub group of that, the complementarian camp, um, within egalitarians, and so this is not necessarily the best passage to he had, build a whole doctrine he, he listed six criteria. We're not going to go through all of them, no. but essentially, unusual number of terms, the authorship is disputed, and so and so and so forth. So when someone says this is the clearest text of scripture to determine the role of women in pastoral ministry, you kind of just got to shake your head and go, no, that's just not Well, not what's the case. scary is this is a foundational text in which a the whole gender... Text. Yeah. The foundational that's text. That's right. Um, which a whole gender theology is built off of, an exclusion we, of women. Exclusion so, of 50% of the church. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. It's, it's always been fun talking to Jamin. Um, got to meet Rebecca Cotts. Uh, she ended up doing a plenary speak. Oh, that's awesome. She was a plenary speaker, um, and she talked about, she gave a lot of um, interesting um, facts and figures on 
trafficking and sexual exploitation mm. and um, even just pornography. It, it was interesting. Um, so I was live tweeting <laughs> furiously throughout, and I what tweeted. Was um, it's uh, hashtag uh, CBE17. Yep. So you can get all the fun stuff there. Yeah. So you can actually see not just my uh, very interesting tweets, but <laughs> so many people. And you can um, get video, little mini videos of the worship and... Pictures and all that fun stuff. Yeah. But anyway, it was interesting. Um, <laughs> so one of... I, I forget which one. I sent out one tweet on... Um, uh, I wish I remembered the exact nature of it, but this one guy like retorted back... Complementarians don't claim that. Um, we only believe that uh, something like men and women are equal, but you know they have different roles. That whole thing. It was very awkward because she was that quotation was about human trafficking and like sex slavery and <laughs> and expo- and gender violence. Um, so. It was just like, uh... Not the... Not the... No one claims that. It was just so many things. It's like, number one, you're... You're automatically putting complementarianism into that mix, which I did not. And yeah. you are also saying no one ever claims that. Well, yeah. I mean, That's, they are. And we're talking... It was just... It was awkward. It was defense... It was, it was odd uh, complementarian virtue signaling. It was really interesting. Yep. So... Fun stuff. Not that all complementarians virtue signal. He just did. Uh, Grisel uh, Medina brought a very powerful voice and just launched our conference. Um, mm-hmm. She talked about our um, theme verse and especially about the future of egalitarianism in terms of inclusion. Mm. Um, wonderful woman. Uh, very prayerful. Um, I would call her a prayer warrior yeah. very easily. Oh, yeah. She prayed for me. She was very kind and just yeah, very uplifting. I... I'm not super Pentecostal, but I felt a little bit of that after I got a prayer from her. So she's a very, very kind reverend. I, I wish she was one of my pastors. She's just a wonderful person. Joy Moore is always a joy. <laughs> she brought the house down. Yeah, as usual. And you know what? People were talking about her um, plenary um, talk forever in so many different contexts. Um, mm-hmm. She was talking about the tr- how... the big. I'll, I'll say the big takeaways for me um, was just how she explained how... Uh, narr- how the church has a nar- has a, a narrative with Christ and with uh, the, the message of mutuality, mm. and we've exchanged this narrative for something else, something other. Mm. She encouraged us not to do what so many are tempted to do these days, and that's to say, to uh, there there is oppression um, of women by men in the world, but it does no one any good. If suddenly women start saying, oh, well, I'm going to do the same thing to you Mm. and make their own power play. Mm. And so, again, the big message of this whole conference was mutual by design, building God's church together. Mm. And the major tenet of egalitarianism is this idea of mutual submission. Mm. And so I think, um, especially with our broader culture being so polarized right now, you have on the one side this uh, resurgence and this um, lash against uh, modern, well, they, they say it's modern feminism, but you can frankly see a lot of underpinnings of sentiments that men should be leading, women should be following. Homer Simpson hermeneutics, yeah. Yeah, Homer Simpson hermeneutics. Find it on, find Nick's blog post on it. It's very good. Um, Thank you. So you have that on one side, and then on the other side you have um, these very bitter people that... Um, either go by the name of feminism or some other combination thereof, um, <laughs> who 
basically want to have, they have the sentiment of, we need to take this power back and we need to push men in their places. They've been in charge for so long, it's our turn. And so it, that's not really the sentiment of uh, the historical um, feminist movement, first wave that egalitarianism is coming out of. Yep. And I thought that Joy Moore's talk on this, um, especially from the vantage point of race as well, hmm. um, was very much needed. Let's see. Who else? Um, Michael Bird uh, couldn't come, unfortunately, because he had... He was brewing his beer, and uh, you know, because he's a master craftsman and that. And yeah, uh, Mike, you you may not know this about Mike, but yeah. he is actually quite nuanced with his taste in beer and, and coffee too. Actually, yes, I, I've never seen a man take so long to sip a cup of coffee. I hear he has a specialty out that mixes the two. Ooh, you guys will have to ask him about yeah. it. Tweet at mbird12. He'll he'll love to answer your questions about about yes. that. Yes, he deserves it. Yeah. Um. We got to meet Ben Witherington several the ben times. Witherington. Yes, the Ben Witherington. A lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to spoil it. His talk, um, it, there just wasn't anything else like it. Was no, there, there wasn't. I, I've never uh, seen a man perform a talk like that. It was very uh, interesting. We laughed, we cried. We hugged, we sobbed. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, all of these are going to be, you can look at some of the live tweets. They're hilarious. Um, and then you can also look in, um, I think CBE will be releasing these eventually on audio. So you can look at each of the plenaries. Yep. Um, so. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, I got to host uh, Dr. Paul Chilcote who's a professor of theology at Asbury in Orlando, the regional campus. And he did, and I was super excited about this one because as a, budding Methodist, I'm just on fire for this sort of thing. I got to hear a Methodist defense of women in ministry. It was kind of a historical survey of of women uh, from Wesley's time until kind of, you know, maybe up to Amy Semple McPherson and other, you know, Methodist kind of leaning women. It was just a very interesting just how they argued. It was very much in the line of, of uh, of the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the extraordinary call, which has been now supplanted by anybody who's or anybody can be uh, called into the ministry by the Holy Spirit. But the women were kind of emphasizing the extraordinary call, which Wesley couldn't put down because he saw fruit of it and he didn't see it negated in scripture. So it was, it was a very powerful, very uh, historically aware uh, presentation, which was just a delight to sit through. There was a Kabiro Gatumu that came to, um, oh. Yeah, on he uh, we had several people come from St. Paul's in Kenya. Hmm. Um, wonderful, wonderful people. Um, he spoke on Ephesians five twenty one through thirty three, um, and so basically looked at it from the vantage point of mutual mutuality um, and a gender balanced church leadership. So hmm. again, this idea of balance, you know, get rid of the zero sum. Yeah. Um, really, there were so many good ones. Um, there were a lot of people that were speaking on um, abuse and healing, and um, especially Tristan did. Uh, hers was more uh, geared towards con building confidence and resilience. I, I hear, I did not go to this one. John Rhys Newton um, had one on, her title is Healing Voices, Abused Women and the Healing Power of Telling the Story. Hmm. And so she came from more of a um, perspective of, um, the articulation of the story and the experience and lots of good things. I encourage you to look these up once they're released. Get a couple that interest you. Um, I would love, 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 love in the future if this stuff got um, live streamed on. Yeah, Missio Alliance style or something yeah. like that. Yeah. 
And uh, Missy Alliance is coming out with their own conference. Uh, she leads. Oh, that sounds cool. Fairly soon. Oh, that's and right. They, we went to the last one. Yeah, we went to the last one. Last one was excellent. Um, and so it's nice because they have a bunch of satellite little places. I think these places, like churches, um, volunteer their space. I don't know how it works exactly, but they have a lot more reach. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage you to go to those two if you can. Yeah, it, it was that was a lot of fun. I got to meet uh, Reverend Tara Beth Leach at Paz Naz. And the, got to see the Junior Project gals, which is always fun. Yeah, but really, like, we encourage you to go to the Christians for Biblical Equality Conference, too. It's just such a unique group, and everyone is um, just so respectful and kind, and um, everything is just bathed in prayer, too, mm. constantly. Um, one, of the, one of my jobs at the conference was to make sure to gather the speakers and the staff and others for prayer. Mm. Um, and they, they take this stuff very seriously. Um, this is yeah. not um, a group that just throws around, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. They will pray for you. Oh, yeah. We, we, we grabbed Jimin and Ben and everyone just threw, threw them in a room. We prayed with them for 5, 10, 15 minutes before the speech. I think we were late for one of them because uh, yep. the, the spirit, gotta pray. you got to pray. So Got to pray. Yep. yep. And we also loved, um, we've met several subscribers. Um, to the podcast, yeah. Yeah. So, so many, and there were some I wanted to talk to more. There was one where I was running to, like, introduce a workshop speaker, <laughs> and I was like, no, I want to talk to this random person, but I can't. <laughs> so, at least I got to meet uh, some people. Um, so, uh, Angela um, Harrington and Eileen Berglund, I think is how you say their names. I got to go ahead and have burgers and fries. Mm. Them. So that was a lot of fun and Very nice. great bunch. <laughs> I got to have burgers with Ida Spencer and Bill Spencer or William Spencer. Really nice people. That guy's a great pastor. And you yeah. got to hang out with Jamin for a bit. Yeah, Jamin and I uh, and his wife Jessica. I was going down to the the bar uh, to get some water <clears throat> and basically to translate Galatians for homework. And Jamin and Jessica were there, and we got scotch and talked for a few hours about Jamin's past and my past and all that fun stuff that happens over scotch. So that was that was delightful. Yep. He's actually a mass crusader by night. Yes, he is. We're just going to put that out there. We won't say which one, but it's true. It's one of the top three that you're probably thinking. Yes, definitely. And a uh, shout out to the really nice person who gave us a five-star review on Twi on uh, iTunes. Uh, it's from Truth to Bear. Uh, very nice of you. Thank you so much. I think she follows us on Twitter. Very nice lady. Uh, not because she gave us a five-star <laughs> review, but because she was just a very kind what she said i'm not going to read it because it's super self-serving for me to do that but just very polite very kind and thank you for your support uh that propels us to the top of the charts and that's always uh always a good thing so thank you very humbled by that yeah all right so now let's talk about the future of egalitarianism Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we've talked um before about where the future of male headship but mm -hmm. what about the future of egalitarianism yeah and so this is a time where, you know, we're not here to bash um, complementarians or anything like that. Maybe just we'll uh, critique a little bit, but mostly we're wanting to look at our own movement and hmm. say, what are, the, what are the risks that we see and what are the things that we are hopeful about? Um, on the one hand, I think egalitarianism is spreading quite a bit. Hmm. And I'm, I, when I say egalitarianism, I want to sharply distinguish it from other feminist movements. Hmm. Um, and not all egalitarians even go by the label of feminism. Um, it's just that really like first, second, third wave, and I think there's a fourth wave now, frankly. Um, they're all 
a bit different from one another and they're not these are broad brush movements at at best too hmm. yeah so that doesn't even <laughs> tell you about all these little things but um egalitarianism at its heart is about mutuality hmm. it's about mutual submission specifically um, yes, this does translate into also men and women serving side by side in leadership as well. Uh, most of the time we talk about uh, women needing to be put into positions of leadership. And that's because, surprise, surprise, guess who's in charge right now, for the most part. Not yeah. all the way, like, and I think as a country and as a church, we have come a long way. Um, we've also started coming a long way historically and then took a turn for the worst for a long time. Yeah. Um, there was a day when you could have imagined fundamentalist preachers being female. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a reality. Yep. But uh, there was a lashback, especially after women got the vote. Um, the, the feminist movement of the time thought our work is done, everything will fall into place. And sure enough, the church... Um, all the different uh, strongholds that they had got lost. Uh, for instance, Moody used to be an uh, egalitarian organization, used yep. to support uh, female pastors all the time. Not anymore. Nope. And Gordon Conwell, the founders of Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, were abolitionists and egalitarians. Uh, A.J. Gordon, for one, very prominent egalitarian minister back in the day. Yeah, but here we are. Um, I think egalitarianism is starting to spread again. I think uh, it's not as much as we would like yet. There's lots of militant pockets that are very firmly complementarian um, and, and are actively trying to make sure that women do not get any place in leadership within the churches. Yeah, and not to mention also that the high uh, concentration of these groups in positions of power. So yes. You go to a Southern Baptist church, you might be surprised at what you find theologically in terms of this view. Uh, it's only in the top echelon and in, in the seminaries that are forced to sign off on a complementarian statement of faith that, surprise, surprise, that denomination is going to have a big fight on its hands. Well, and a lot of these uh, organizations are kind of, um, let's just say there's a lot of commonality in their groups as well. Mm -hmm. So you, you can almost think of them as clusters, gospel coalition, yep. um, Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood is behind a lot of things. Um, apparently, they're also uh, behind the ESV, yep. um, which isn't actually, I found out in itself, a, its own translation. I mean, it's, I think, going off of the, I want to say, is it the... I think it's the RSV. It's either the ASV or RSV. It's, it's one RSV. of the two. Yeah. Um, but they, they adjusted parts of it, and they managed to make sure that theirs was the... Um, quote, translation of choice, yep. um, with all its biased translations of the gender passages. Yep. So that's another interesting mark, but... And it's also highly marketing, so it's all in yeah. how you market and persuade these things, so... Or, pers or uh, offer these things, not persuade these things. But here we are. Um, our opponents are who they are, um, but who are we? And I think, at the end of the day, I think the biggest threat to egalitarianism is not... You know, the dreaded patriarchy from the outside or, you know, even from within um, the rank, our own ranks, if we're thinking in terms of the church. But more when we cease to be egalitarians, that's when, you know, what was this all for? Well, it's then when you take it for granted and you don't 
continue on with what you know to be true. It's you get stale, the salt loses its flavor, and you stop, you know, figuring and, and acting upon the impulse that you see in scripture. It's any sort of movement that doesn't place scripture as its prime authority. You kind of just you kind of start to fray out a bit at the edges, and I don't want our movement to lose its its love of scripture, and I think and its um, and its desire for discipleship. Yeah, I don't know if that's so much that like problem though. Um, I think it, I, I see this spreading on the blogosphere on um, in churches. I see a lot of interpersonal engagement on this topic, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But coming along with it as a movement gets starts to get bigger, um, one has to wonder, especially if you start to see people maybe. N- I, I want to be careful with this, um, maybe not being so egalitarian. So for instance, it's that same kind of um, ethos that we see in the broader culture of the zero sum mentality. Yeah. Um, They'll get offended if you bring up men. Um, They will get, um, it's this thing that we've been wronged. And so we need to take everything back and we need to show them what it was like kind of ethos. And really that's not what I see in Christians for Biblical Equality at all. No. Um, I don't really see that in Missy Alliance. I really don't see that at Fuller. I don't see that um, in a lot of these top egalitarian places, but I am seeing that interpersonally with um, a few of the engagements I've had. Hmm. And that's something that I want to just warn everyone to be cautious about. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. I think you run the risk of, of you've been wronged and so you it's kind of the kinetic effect. You throw a ball at me, I'm going to throw the ball. You brought a knife to the gunfight, I'm going to pull out a bazooka and blow you away. And it's kind of the tit-for-tat mentality that uh, just doesn't seem to really work with a scriptural kind of idea, how we interact with one. It's not a mutuality idea. It's You're exchanging one hierarchical or dominance yeah. theme for another. Yeah, and I mean, there's something to be said about if you've actually been wronged concretely, like... Yes. Um, I mean, it's happened to me before. It's happened to so many people. Um, women are not shocked by my stories, um, frankly. Yeah. Um, it's one thing that if you were wrongly not given a position because of a gender discrimination thing, it, it is only right that, um, not that you have to press it, like I didn't, um, but you try to get restitution for that. Like, that's one thing. Yeah. Um, but it's an, it's a whole other thing to, I guess, ascribe... Um, not only all these invisible forces, which there are, I'm not saying those don't exist, yeah. but it's to use them as rationalizations to um, undermine individuals. So it, it would be like me suddenly going after Nick left and right and saying, um, you know what, Nick's accomplishments in his research and other things, it's just because he's a guy. Or, you know what, Nick has lots more, he has a lot more Twitter friends than I do. It must be because he's male. Well, Nick, yeah. we need to make sure you stop tweeting. He's, He's the best tweeter ever. Like I, <laughs> I've started tweeting more recently, but I, I've, I've been horrible. I've, all I've been doing like the past twenty four <laughs> yeah. hours tweeting gifs of cats, like well, cats, like being silly. I just looked for the silliest cat, the cat memes and stuff. So, but you know what I mean. Like, so it would be to uh, number one ascribe automatically Nick's one hundred percent success because he's an awesome tweeter to his gender, and then me going you know what, we need to make sure Nick decides to tweet less because it just makes me look, I don't know, exposes me as the horrible tweeter that I am, really. Maybe. um, I don't know. Horrible example, perhaps, but um, that's the risk overall that I see where we just want to 
uh, bring other individuals down rather than thinking in terms of raising everyone up. Yeah, it, it's an idea of, well, mutuality. Like that's what we're, we're not independent of one another. So if you suppress one, you essentially lose the other. So I think that's what Joy Moore talked about a lot. And just the idea of you can't just separate these can't separate these people from one another. You're a human being. You're kind of locked with one another. So the instant you put a woman down or put a man down to that extent, you've, you're kind of losing the image of God that is ascribed to that person. Well, it's on both sides. Maybe it's this thinking of we've got two slots. Who are we going to have it fill? Yeah. Um, and on the one hand, it's saying, oh, well, you know what? We're going to just pretend we have not... Um, for so long kept women subordinate. We're going to just pretend that there aren't all these forces that are constantly trying. Like, it, it's just been crazy even for me going through school, just just having to survive. Like, just all of the onslaught of you don't belong here, left and right. Um, not having the same amount of available scholarships because of my gender. Um, that's a whole nother story. Um, I got some, but there were quite a few that specified for men. Job applications, male language, so men, 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 meaning that's great for me. That benefits me. It doesn't benefit you. Yeah, and I knew when I was getting my MDiv, I knew women that wanted to be MDivs too, but their churches would not support them. Hmm. Um, so they ended up going into counseling. So it, And then there's also the factor of you not having a job afterwards. All of that to say, all that gets ignored. We've got two slots. We're going to pick, quote, the best candidate. We're not going to look at candidates that maybe took an unusual route and do have concrete accomplishments, but in ways, unique ways that they followed the opportunities that were available to them. Or that even that they excelled with what they had. And that's an issue too. That's right. So on the one hand, you have that. And then on the other hand, you have this idea of, um, well, women have been wronged. So we just need to make sure we fill one of those slots with women and whatever the cost. Yeah. So, you know, maybe we have another guy who's been disadvantaged as well in various ways. Yeah. Um, maybe poverty, other things. It, it just, it becomes all about gender or race and nothing else. Yeah. So what you're saying essentially is we need a holistic way of, uh, of thinking about these things. It's not as if we can compartmentalize one little aspect and just say, all right, that's the one little bit we want. It's like, no, you got to think about the entire journey of how a person got to where they are. That's right. And yeah, so I'm not all for this idea that um, your race, your ethnicity, your gender determines um, who you are as a person, your your value in any way, shape, or form. Um, at the same time, I think one has to recognize the systemic injustice that is in place. Um, and I think a lot of it is in terms of social systems as well, hmm. um, personally. But I would just love it if we all like could talk and have more of a both and perspective rather yeah. than a zero sum perspective from whatever vantage point. And so the second aspect of this is something I want to talk about is for, as as regarding the future of egalitarianism, and that centers on uh, specifically millennial men. Mm. Uh, when I was at the conference, uh, not a lot of millennial men, uh, and that's not a bad thing. I, some conferences women need to be more more present. And I think this conference especially, since women are more uh, likely to be abused domestically and stuff like that, we needed women well, present. But the thing is, this wasn't 
even then, you you frankly do need men yeah. there on a domestic abuse topic. No, that's and true. that wasn't what the conference was about. I mean, this was a frustration that I had at the conference I went to at Biola um, mm. for the uh, different uh, Christian colleges. And I think a lot of... I, I was just noticing um, that various universities, um, maybe including one that I may be somewhat associated with, they definitely made sure to send their women to this conference because they topically saw, oh, it's about women or gender. Therefore, women's it applies issue. only women's issue. Yep. You guys go. Bye. You know. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, again, we don't really see each the us as a part of one another. Yeah. It's not understood really in practice that if you have... Um, more than half of your resources being undervalued in concrete ways, that this is a problem for you, too, if you're men. <laughs> I mean, even yeah. with all the data that shows, once you start giving women positions in leadership, hmm. there, it, you don't only have two slots. Guess what? Your slots grow to four, five, six. Yep. Um, so that's the other part of it. You know, with more economic and other... Um, concrete markers of success. You have more of uh, more to go around. Yeah. Again, the the issue is not that this was a woman. It's yeah. It's the issue of this isn't a woman's issue. Uh, there's no uh, and having no men there really makes it a problem because uh, you don't see men in churches. You know, and I don't want to. That's not the feminization of the church. I don't buy that. I think it's malarkey. Um, I, I think a large men have been in charge this whole time after all. Yeah. Have, <laughs> so it's a little awkward yeah, to say it's the feminization of the church. Yeah. It's like, I don't know about you, but I like having women at my church. So I, I don't have, I think it's, if that is true, then it's an ego thing on the part of the guys. But this issue also is how do we get one men back in church? I have no idea. I mean, I've got some thoughts, but, and also an issue is, uh, how do we train up men to be supporting women? Um, I mean, complementarian the complementarian men i talk to for the most part not all of them uh are uneducated on this topic for the most part they've imbibed the popular teachings of the culture of or their subculture of john piper maybe they've read wayne grudem or maybe they just heard their pastor talk about ephesians 5 once and that solved the issue and so i think a big part of it is educating men and women on what scripture clearly teaches and that requires us to be actively involved again mutually with one another to get that way of speaking with one another to where there's a mutuality, a giving, a reciprocity of mind. And I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, and I think most of Nick and I's engage engagements with complementarians, and I mean, frankly, story of our lives, right? It's yeah. not really, oh, you know, this little pocket over here. I mean, yeah. we've been entrenched in evangelicalism. Um, we are evangelicals. It comes to yeah. the territory. So it's not, we really haven't had many, I would say, actual problems engaging people on this topic. I think a lot of it is just people do not, do not know that there's a whole other side to this story. They just know what they've been told, again, by Piper, by um, whatever pastor. Uh, and, and really, a lot of this does go back to Piper and Grudem, frankly. Yeah. Um, or MacArthur. Yeah. Um, I think those three, um, even if indirectly, will hear some of their arguments. Um, and I think once they hear another side, I, I notice, frankly, immediate openness. 
Yeah, it, it's something where, oh yeah, authenteo doesn't mean something as oblique and narrow as just having a, or wielding a positive thing of authority. And once they read Huebner or Payne or Westfall or just anyone outside of the narrow sphere, uh, most people who don't have uh, a desire to continue holding a certain power or dynamic are willing to at least, oh, okay, the, the grip lessons and oh, no, I'm still complementarian, but I get it and we can have a, a reasonable conversation. Mo but again, you have run the risk of uh, of and causing further entrenchment because you have people that like being in power. They like the way they feel when their wife submits to them when they kick their foot up on the table. You know, see the Stephen Crowder response I did. He used that example. Some people like being the big dog in charge and don't want to give that up. And to me, that's that requires education, but also requires getting men to actually read the Bible better. Well, and that's, men, that's just the opposite of what Jesus taught in terms of leadership period. Forget gender. Yeah. Um, he, I'm um, just things like do, you know, don't have them call you te you know, te rabbi, like, yeah. um, last shall be first, first shall be last. Um, don't try to, uh, use, have power like the, or exercise authority. That's right. Exercise yeah. authority the way the pagans do or way the Gentiles do lording it over one another. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's also um, echoed in first Timothy two. Yep. Um, so it's just, it's the opposite of what Jesus modeled and taught. It's a kind of, I would say a foreign view of leadership in the first place. Well, it's, I, I think it's partially to an inability for the new Testament to challenge your ethics. Like the new Testament undermines every form of ethics I've ever believed in and has given me something greater and stronger. That's right. It's deeply uncomfortable. You know, I wasn't always an egalitarian. I wasn't always, you know, believing in other things. But the, the New Testament has authority to challenge your assumptions. And if you're unwilling to do that, you're not really a good Christian. You're a cultural person who likes having authority over your husband or your wife. Yeah. And I mean, I like that you said over your husband too, because oh, yeah. again, that's... It's this um, battle of the sexes or yep. whatever it's supposed to be. Oh, yeah. I, I know I, I have friends who are in very domineering relationships with uh, wives who are very cold and, you know, quote, feminist and just abrasive and mean and not submissive like Ephesians 5 says, mutually. And you get a sense in which a marriage dynamic, as you see in popular culture, is about the power. It's about who has power. And the New Testament says, Jesus does. You don't. And that, that's a full stop. Ethically, that's full stop right there. And that's something we see in this conference, and it's something we see throughout Scripture. And it's something we need to tell men, no, you have authority over, you do not have authority over your own body. You don't get to say, I want sex tonight, and you have to give it to me. You don't get to just wield yourself like that. And the fact that they're not willing to go back to the New Testament and be challenged into thinking and transforming their minds and hearts with their spouse, I mean... I don't know where, why be a Christian then? You know, just why? If the New Testament doesn't challenge you and you're not reading it, why? Yeah, and I think this understanding of um, mutuality and um, at the very basic level, um, loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself, mm -hmm. is it, it's supposed to take over all aspects of your relationships with others, whether it's yeah. your spouse, whether it's other people in the church, whether it's thinking about who to include in leadership. It's even, I mean, <laughs> I hate to say this because I was crabby earlier this, um, this morning and tonight, um, but it's, you know, also just recognizing your own limitations as a human being and not being able to say you're sorry sometimes and trying to make restitution 
as well. It, it means also being vulnerable with another person. That's right. With giving your faults to another person with the knowledge that they will not wield them against you. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I've got a problem here. I tell Allison and she keeps that in her purse to to shiv me, you know, kind of thing <laughs> when, when I'm in a bad place. And so, you know, it's not, it's the entire opposite of that. And so when, you know, we talk about you don't have authority over your own body, the totality of who you are, that includes your mind, that includes your experience, your first, history. Uh, first Corinthians 7. First Corinthians 7, yeah. And, you know, don't deprive one another and this sort of thing, this utter transparency of mutuality. And I think men are trained in this, in, in our subculture, at least, mm-hmm. evangelical subculture, to one, resist emotion. Yeah. And I'm not talking about, you know, happiness. I'm talking about resisting being vulnerable, vulnerable uh, intimate. And it's a porn generation too. Yeah. So uh, if you which, if you're yeah. intimate or vulnerable with a woman, you must um, you must have roman- number one romantic feelings, and maybe these are distorted romantic feelings where you can't be friends uh, with a woman. Yeah. Because again, if you have if you are open and vulnerable, hence you must have some sort of romantic interest in the first place. Yeah. It, it's just it, it it creates all sorts of just issues with guys, you know. Uh, and, and, and get, you can't be alone in a room with a woman. Yep. You can't control your body, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, you men know? are made out to be these, like, sex fiends, yeah. too. Yeah, every man's a hound dog, basically. And it's like, I mean, I, I like <laughs> I like fun stuff with married stuff, but my friend hound Sean, doggy stuff, it's like, no. Nah, okay, uh, my friend Sean and I um, were, this is back in my MDiv years, we were studying um, in my room, oh no, <laughs> and um, we weren't even thinking about this, and then he said, he looked at me, he's like, you know, it's midnight, I'm like, uh-huh. Like you know, I'm supposed to turn into a werewolf right now. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, you are ridiculous. <laughs> no, but he, you know, he was he was making light of it, but that's kind of like how on the downside, how men are distorted. They're yeah. made out to be these like sex fiends that yeah. can't control themselves, and um, women um, are oftentimes blamed as well because they somehow tempt said sex fiends. Yeah. I think it, it, By existing. It, 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 at heart, what we're trying to get at is men need a better education. It means training men in scripture. It means taking them to 1 Corinthians 7 and Ephesians 5 in context. It means pulling men basically out of the subcultural haze that they are in and getting them to read scripture properly and basically tell them you're not a sex hound, you're not a sex fiend, you're not all these horrible things that your culture has told you. And it means basically... Uh, and getting them to actually meet women in leadership that are thriving yep. and are good at what they do. Because a lot of this bubble just kind of reinforces itself. They don't yep. see women in leadership. Um, they're told constantly that it is their, I don't know, God-ordained destiny to lead over women. And hence, it just keeps reinforcing itself. Um, I, I remember even even women will buy into this where they think, oh... Can, will, will men actually follow women if they were even in this position of authority? And yes, yes, they will. It happens yes. all the time, and yeah. it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I, I've served under many women who are in positions of authority and loved every minute of it. They're wonderful. There's uh, uh, Anyway, so yeah, all this to say, millennial men, we need to make a push for them. We can't forget them. And I hope CBE and the rest of us can do our part in bring, bringing men back to the Bible. Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. So if you could yeah. even, um, on our blog, comment on this. Or tweet um, us. Yeah, because, I mean, we we have a lot of questions at this stage. Um, not a lot of answers yet. Yeah, so if you're involved in a church, you know, you're a pastor, guy or gal, and you've got, you know, single men or married men or 
millennial men specifically, like how, how do you preach to them? How do you engage with them? How do you disciple them? How do you lead them? Yeah. So tweet at us, let us know. So what are we doing next time, Allison? Um, so we will finally be getting into Romans. Yay. Um, so we'll go through Romans one, five and seven, and I might bring in some of my research from first Timothy because it's interesting and believe it or not, it's actually relevant to Romans 5 and 7. Sweet. And then we'll also be go- looking at 12 through 16. The famous junior passage in context, as well as other stuff that's oddly kind of glossed over. Yeah, and just to um, make uh, make it clear, for the, fir- the first chapter of Romans, it'll be more about sexuality and ethics. Yep. And then 5 and 7 are going to hit on Adam's federal headship. Quote, federal headship. Or is it? Is it. And then uh, twelve through sixteen. Or is it only <laughs> twelve? You have the great, you know, great text on uh, on on spiritual gifts and all this sort of thing, and relation to the state. And just mutualism is kind of a foundational theme in fourteen through fifteen. And then, of course, the famous text in Romans sixteen: Phoebe, Junia, Mary, and all the other women involved there. So it's almost like mutuality is a Christian theme. Certainly, in Paul's thought, you don't have Paul without mutuality, or mutuality without Paul. Yes, that's the answer. Yes, we're very tired, as you can tell, from yes. our long time at our conference and getting back to work and doing the things that we do. Mike Bird's coffee was so good, it kept me awake You know until what? Now. That's true. You know, we thought we were going to just lose it, and then we had some of Mike Bird's coffee. I don't know if I'll awesome. sleep tonight. It's great. It's the best down-under coffee I've ever had. Just ask him where he sells it, and he'll fill you in. He'd be very happy to. I hear he even has an instant kind of brand with it, too. Yeah, he can be a little coy, so you just kind of have to keep asking him. If you think we're serious, we're not going to tell.